1: in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do.
0: It's time to stand up or we're gonna lose everything we have. Director
1: of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game,
3: this is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host.
1: Some things are worth fighting for.
0: I need you. I need every American to do their part. And that's not hyperbole, I need you. I need you to get vaccinated when it's your turn and when you can find an opportunity. And to help your family, your friends, your neighbors get vaccinated as well. Because here's the point, if we do all this, if we do our part, if we do this together, by July the 4th, there's a good chance you, your families and friends, We'll be able to get together in your backyard or in your neighborhood and have a cookout and a barbecue and celebrate independence day that doesn't mean large events with lots of people together but it does mean small groups will be able to get together after this long hard year that will make this independence day something truly special where we not only mark our independence as a nation Well, we begin to mark our independence from this virus. But to get there, we can't let our guard down. This fight is far from order from over. As I told the woman in Pennsylvania, I'll tell you the truth. A July 4th with your loved ones is the goal. But a goal, a lot can happen. Conditions can change.
1: Got your commander in chief speaking to you with such encouraging phrases. He's got your back. He's worried about you. You must all get the vaccine. And if you do that, if you all get the vaccine and continue to wear those masks and social distance by 4th of July, you could probably meet outside with your family and celebrate the holiday. That's the promise. But then he says, you know, but conditions can change. And so, you know, I'm saying that, but conditions can change. That's your commander-in-chief, and that was his address to the nation. Meanwhile, I have to tell you that the uh, the Parks Department has refused South Dakota's request uh, to hold a Fourth of July fireworks at Mount Rushmore again this year. Remember, I went last year and told you how wonderful, incredible it was. They wanted to do it again this year, but Biden's, you know— Uh, Department of Interior, whichever department, uh, no, you can't do that. Can't do that. Can't do that. They cite danger because there's so much danger. We had so much danger last year when I was there. Uh, No, we had um, a patriotic outburst. And so while he's saying, he's promising you, listen, look, if you get the vaccination and you, you know, social distance and continue to wear your masks, well, you might, you might be able to go outside with your family and celebrate 4th of July. This is When in the world did we ever hand these people, these crazy people, the right to tell us what we can do with our families, in our own homes, in our own yards? How did we get into this place in such short order? And I maintain it's because we just rolled over like sheep and did what they said. But let me just give you some, I think, headlines on uh, the implications of what he's talking about. Why do they continue to pass these, to push the vaccines why? When they tell us that now they're not only they're only ninety five percent effective, and you may have to you still have to social distance, you still have to wear your mask. It's not going to change your life. Jen Psaki told us. President uh, Biden told us the same thing. It's not going to change, but you must take it. You just must. You must. All of you must take it. Let me read something to you. This is by Lawrence Solomon. It's in the Epoch Times. Uh, he said um, the biggest COVID nineteen vaccine skeptics, skeptics, frontline healthcare workers why what do frontline healthcare workers and first responders know about covid-19 vaccines that politicians and their public health advisors don't according to a january analysis by gallup 51% of healthcare workers and first responders polled in december were unconvinced of the merits of getting vaccinated even if the vaccine was free available fda approved and 90% effective In California, over half of Tahoma County's hospital workers at St. Elizabeth Community Hospital, an estimated 50 percent of frontline workers in Riverside County and 20 to 40 in L.A. County have refused the vaccine. In Georgia, according to an estimate in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, only 30 percent of healthcare workers have been inoculated. And Ohio Governor Mike DeWine reported that 60 percent of nursing home workers refused the vaccine, and in Texas— the Tribune reported in February that home health and assisted living agencies may not be able to receive service that from their cli- for their clients because so many caregivers are refusing to be vaccinated. A CDC survey of skilled nursing facilities published in February found that fewer than 40% of staff took at least one dose of the COVID-19 vaccine. It's not happening just here. It's outside the U.S., frontline workers are likewise skeptical there in um, march reuters reported that almost half of the nursing staff in switzerland's medical sector only 30% of the staff in germany's benevit group care home operate benevit group care home operator and about half of the healthcare workers in french care homes were willing to be vaccinated pbs on that same day reported that since india started administering the second Vaccine dose two weeks ago, half of the frontline workers and nearly 40% of the healthcare workers have not shown up. In Canada, Canadian television provided an anecdotal report that many long-term health care workers in Montreal are flat-out refusing to take the vaccine. So the question is, what do they know? And, of course, Lawrence Solomon goes in and says they're, they're actually seeing what's happening to, their, uh, to people. They're hearing stories, and uh, they're getting more and more concerned. I, I just I had an article... With me on this one, it's about the AstraZeneca uh, vaccine in uh, some of the, I think it's Denmark and a couple of other countries. They've stopped it because they're seeing so much, uh, they're seeing a lot of blood clotting. Now, look, this is not new for me to tell you these stories. I've told you the stories that have come my way about people dying or suffering terribly, coming close to dying from the COVID-19 vaccines. Uh, We don't know. You have to know that in experimental stages, vaccines do kill people. That's happened before. I suppose what you have to do is you have to figure out if the risk of taking that vaccine is equal or greater than the risk of not taking it. My personal opinion is, because I see the stats on the chances of you dying from COVID, they are very slim. They're getting slimmer every day. In Florida, the, for instance, where Florida is the, probably the most open state in the union, uh, the cases are just going down to nothing. And the deaths are going down. To, there's still a few. But but it's practically nothing compared to what it was. I think that's the case all over the country. I don't see you know, any stats that show that it's increasing. Your chances of dying from COVID are so slim. And yet people are... I don't know why people will say to you, uh, I'm gonna, I can't wait to get the vaccine. Are you getting it? Are you getting it? It's like they won the lottery if they get permission to get the vaccine. I don't know if they're just not paying attention, but it is really alarming that healthcare workers around the world are balking at this. What are they seeing that we're not seeing? And we know that they're seeing people take it. We're seeing the effects of it. And so we should take our cues from them. And again, it's a, a decision that you have to make yourself, all of us have to make that decision. But I just wanted to share that with you. Joe Biden uh, was not done, you know, telling you what you can and can't do. So let's listen to a little bit more of his speech to the nation on this uh, anniversary of uh, COVID. This is clip seven.
0: And getting back to normal depends on national unity. And national unity isn't just how politics and politicians vote in Washington. What the loudest voices say in cable or online. Unity is what we do together as fellow Americans. Because if we don't stay vigilant and the conditions change, then we may have to reinstate restrictions to get back on track. And please, we don't want to do that again. We've made so much progress. This is not the time to let up. Just as we were emerging from a dark winter into a hopeful spring and summer is not the time to not stick with the rules.
1: Yeah, stick with the rules. And if you don't, oh, we just might have to reinstate them again, like, a, like some sort of a parent wagging his finger. Really, this is not what the American government has ever been. We are a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. We make our own decisions. We should have. We sort of lost ground when we put in these seat belt rules. I remember my dad complaining about that. You know, If I don't want to wear a seatbelt, I shouldn't have to wear a seatbelt. If you want to take that chance, you should be able to take that chance. Now, many of you will push back on that. But I'm just saying we used to never have these kinds of rules because we had personal responsibility. If we did foolish things or took chances, then it was on us. Uh, and I, you know, I, that's the way it must be. We do not want a parent, a grandparent, telling us what to do and not to do. And yet that is exactly what we have now, plus the threats. And in addition to that, we are in so much danger in every way, not only internally, but also in in the world. I want to give you, I want to play this because I thought this was pretty alarming. This is Jillian Turner's report on what's happening around the nation's capital. Let's listen to clip six.
2: The National Guard chief wanted to send his troops home, but the secretary of defense said no. Fox News has exclusively obtained an official government memo that reveals Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin overruled the chief of the National Guard, Daniel Hawkinson, with his decision to keep 2,280 National Guard troops at the U.S. Capitol through May. In the memo dated March 4, the Guard's top general makes the case the Guard is overstretched and not equipped to carry out the mission, citing COVID-19, civil disturbance, wildfire, and hurricane and flood response. He writes, efforts to date have not secured enough volunteers among supporting states to meet the U.S. Capitol Police request of 2,280 soldiers, nor an option B of 1,000 soldiers. He says, I'm concerned that the continued indefinite nature of this requirement may also impede our ability to man future missions.
4: My plan is to not keep them there one day longer than than is necessary.
2: Despite this commitment, another internal memo shows the defense secretary ordered troops airlifted into Washington should U.S. Capitol Police require it. Right now, the Guard is focused on aiding states with COVID vaccinations, managing distribution at food banks and securing minneapolis during the trial of former officer derek Chauvin. they're also continuing deployments overseas the national guard chiefs concern is also at odds with what the pentagon has told fox news recently
4: i am not aware of any uh... competition for those national guard folks
2: and just yesterday spokesman john kirby said this when pressed on why the secretary of defense signed off on the mission yes
5: the department of defense will be funding this. But that's not how anybody's looking at this, you know, foisting that on the Capitol Police, that they're looking at this as as free labor.
1: Yeah. All right. So Lloyd Austin, the new Secretary of Defense appointed by Joe Biden, President Biden, um, has, of course, ordered the uh, purging uh, and troops of people that he, you know, he uh, suspects of, I don't know, racism, Trumpism, uh, all the isms. I'm not sure, except the Islamism. I think that's okay. Uh, but they're purging the troops, they're purging, purging the leadership, they are, in spite of the fact that the Pentagon wants to remove the National Guard troops, because there's, uh, there's no, um, you know, there's nothing happening. I, I heard from someone, a good friend lives on Capitol Hill, that they have now ordered the Guard, the National Guard troops, to stand 100 feet away from the fence. And this friend of mine said, well, what we were doing was we were going up and chatting with them. We did that a lot, and that's how we found out that they were being fed raw chicken, and moldy bread with metal shavings in their food. We were hearing about how they were treated, and that's why uh, my friend suspects they've been uh, ordered to stand back from the fence. Can't talk to Americans, no siree, uh, because we might find out how they're being treated. I see a picture in my hand of the troops sleeping on the yard, on the grass of the eastern front of the Capitol in January. I just, uh, it's so Lloyd Austin, you know, the Secretary of Defense has refused the Pentagon's request, the troops must stay there, and guess who's doing nothing about it? Well, let's see. Republican leadership might be the ones fighting back, and they very nearly have, they they are so, that just a few seats divide each chamber. And yet McConnell and Kevin McCarthy in the House, as far as we know, aren't really actually doing nothing. Oh, they say stuff on the air, but they're actually doing nothing nothing. Meanwhile, China is breathing down our necks and our Pentagon is worried about developing uniforms for pregnant women. It's amazing.
6: This is good news, maybe exactly when you need it to Right now, MediShare is waiving their new member fees. This could save you money on top of all that you'll save each month by becoming a member of MediShare. So many people are looking for a healthcare solution right now, seeing the cost of COBRA plans, for instance, and MediShare is the affordable alternative to health insurance. The typical family saves $500 a month. You might save even more. MediShare is a Christian community that shares each other's healthcare costs, and because of the current economic situation, they're making it easier than ever. Apply by March 31st. You can save an additional $170 on your first month. I'll give you the number here in a second. And if you call, you can get a price within two minutes. Just tell them the promo code SHARE to receive your additional savings. Maybe now is the time to make the switch like more than 400,000 people already have and start saving. Here it is. Call 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE.
5: Hey, it's Michael Woolworth with Bible League International. You know, it was 110 degrees in Ethiopia, Africa. Hundreds had gathered for Sunday worship outdoors, and I learned that some had walked an hour or more just to be there. Afterwards, I met Cademan, hunched over a table and frantically copying scriptures from an Amharic language Bible to a lined piece of paper. Then his face turned sad as he closed the Bible and handed it back to its rightful owner. Only a few in that church to have a Bible. You see, Cademan loves the Lord, leads his family, is faithful at worship, but he's never read a single verse in his own Bible because he does not own one. While we in America can open our Bibles every day, 9 of 10 Christians in parts of Africa are denied God's Word. And that's why Bible League is focused right now on Africa, the place in the world where Christianity is growing in the greatest numbers. A Bible can be sent for $5, $50 will send 10 Learn how you can be a blessing by calling 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD, or by visiting SendBiblesNow.org. That's
3: SendBiblesNow.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes with news and commentary next.
7: Virginia teachers, take the lead in education with up to 64% off your graduate degree at Liberty University. This year has forced you to innovate, adapt, overcome, and you've not only risen to the challenge, you've crushed it. Now help education emerge from this crisis stronger than ever with your MAT or MED degree. Our transfer-friendly degree programs are 100% online and start as low as $282 per credit hour. It's our thanks for all you do for our future. To learn more, text TEACHER to 49595. That's TEACHER to 49595.
3: An elite private school in New York City is warning students and parents to stop using bad words that might offend people. Grace Church School published a long list of offensive terms. Words like boys and girls and mom and dad and phrases like traditional family. The school's guide says traditional family is an outdated term that in today's society there's no such thing as a traditional family. The guide also warns that sexuality can be fluid along the course of one's life. In other words, you could be a boy during first period and a girl by recess. The school also recommends avoiding use of the phrase Merry Christmas. They want you to say, have a good break instead. By the way, it costs $57,000 a year to send your kid to Grace Church School. If you want to talk about offensive, now that's offensive. I don't care if you identify as a mom or a dad or a grown-up or a whatever. I'm Todd Stearns
8: don't forget to connect with sandy rios in the morning on facebook or email sandy at sandy at that's sandy at afr.net sandy rios in the morning on american family radio
7: Yeah. So last week, uh, uh, some employees at Coca-Cola came in one day and found an email telling them to take an online training. And apparently a a group of them were so disturbed by this training, which literally had a slide in it saying, try to be less white, that one of them reached out to me with these whistleblower images because they wanted light shown on this entire scenario. It made them very uncomfortable. Okay. So Coke, I know you've seen a couple of statements. Coke uh,
2: in one of the statements says this, the video in question was accessible on the LinkedIn Learn Learning platform but was not part of the company's curriculum we will continue to listen to our employees and refine our learning programs as appropriate so this material is available on linkedin meaning coke says this wasn't our video but that means companies all over the world could be using the same material right
7: yeah, well, and I will tell you that I've heard from several Coke employees who disagree strongly with that statement that it was not part of their platform, okay. or at least it was last week. But but regardless, you make actually a really good point that I think is the much larger story in this scenario. LinkedIn Learning has worked with Robin D'Angelo, the author of White Fragility, to create this program that, that uh, gives horribly false information about all white people being socialized to just want to control people of other races and literally tells them, try to be less white. It is a far bigger story to me that this is being platformed on something like LinkedIn, which is used across the country in thousands of companies for their online training. And that is a much bigger problem than just Coca-Cola. That
1: was Carolyn Bersinko on Fox News with Shannon Bream. And of course, that's not a new story. That was something that came out a couple of weeks ago, and that's Coca-Cola. But the whole idea of corporate America Lurching to the left is not a new idea to any of us. We've been watching it for the last several years, and we have actually talked about it uh, at you know, on this show, a good deal, but a new book has just come out uh, called The Dictatorship of Woke Capital: How Political Correctness Captured Big Business. And uh, the guest of the guest <laughs> my guest, who's the author of this is Stephen Sokup. Stephen is the vice president and publisher of the Political Forum. Uh, he has a great resume. He's very involved. Let me just read this. He's a senior commentator, vice president and publisher of the Political Forum, an independent research provider that delivers research and consulting services to the institutional investment companies. So a lot of you that are, this is your world, you know who Stephen is. Uh, Stephen, thank you so much for joining us this morning.
4: Thank you for having me, Sandy. I appreciate it.
1: Now, I just played that clip about Coke, but just for the benefit of our audience, can you give us just an idea of the most recent uh, grieving, grievances, I guess, that have come out of corporate America that we can identify with?
4: Well, obviously, the the Coke uh, issue is is a big one. Uh, There have been uh, several incidents uh, from Disney uh, over the past few weeks, uh, slapping warning labels on the Muppets, Uh, Firing Gina Carano uh, from The Mandalorian, uh, various actions like that. So um, unfortunately, there is no shortage uh, of these uh, types of outrageous actions on behalf of corporate America.
1: No, and I want to, you, you do trace this back, you trace this back to 2019 in Georgia. Uh, I think there are other examples, too, which we can talk about, but let's talk about that. Take us back to 2019 in Georgia. They just passed this bill that was a, an abortion, uh was restricting, uh, I can't, you know what, I can't remember the exact bill, but it was an abortion bill that uh, the uh, woke capitalists there did not like. Explain what happened.
4: Well, uh, in 2019, uh, the duly elected, uh... representatives of the people of georgia and the duly elected governor uh... elected by the people of georgia passed, uh... and enacted a uh... fetal heartbeat law um... which essentially uh... effectively bans uh, abortion uh... after six eight or ten weeks roughly uh... depending on uh... what the state regulations will say uh, as soon as a fetal heartbeat can be heard um... and the uh powers that be in corporate America and particularly within the entertainment industry uh were shocked and um angry at this uh The idea that the the people of Georgia through their democrat democratically elected representatives would pass a law that they that uh <clears throat> big business and and hollywood in particular would would find so offensive was was shocking to them uh and so they decided to retaliate. Uh, against the people of georgia and and what that involved was um... a threat on a part on the part of the entertainment industry to quit doing business in georgia uh... over the past two decades uh... the state of georgia has made a considerable investment in, in time and resources in attracting jobs uh... from the entertainment industry um... georgia is a huge producer uh, of entertainment products, uh, that's in fact where Disney produces most of the Marvel films, uh, Star Wars films, uh, etc. Uh, and over 100,000 uh, Georgians are employed uh, in the entertainment industry. So when this law was passed, uh, these corporations threw a fit, and they stomped their feet, and they said, we're not going to do business in Georgia anymore. And And what that meant was they were threatening the livelihoods of these 100,000 average everyday georgians uh... simply because they disagreed with the politics of the state they disagreed uh... with the democratic process and the the laws that it produced uh... and the way they reacted uh, drew the ire uh... understandably uh, of legislators in washington who who saw this and said wait a minute who do you think you are to try to dictate uh... to the people of georgia how they should govern themselves uh... And so this was essentially the first uh, large public uh, event uh... that made people aware of just how aggressively uh... american business had moved to the left and how aggressively they were involved in trying to undermine the democratic will of the people
1: yeah, and that, and then our, and then of course even North Carolina passed the bathroom bill that was going uh, right. to reassure assure that men would go to men's restrooms and women to women's restrooms and then of course the NCAA, all of these boycotts on North Carolina it really it sorts to become it's like uh, it was like a Pandora's box, and we could give a lot of uh, examples of that. But here's the thing: I really find business satisfying and uh, fascinating. My father was a businessman. My husband and I just watched uh, recently that series, "The Men That Built America." You've probably seen that. Uh, then we watched a special on a, a documentary on Henry Ford and how he built uh, his, how he developed manufacturing. Just amazing achievements, but. Uh, the foundation of American capitalism was not political involvement, was it, Stephen?
4: No, absolutely not. Um, The the foundation of of American business was uh, to produce uh, as good a product as could be produced at as fair a price as possible, uh, to sell as many of them as possible, uh, and to deliver as much value to customers, employees, uh, and shareholders as was possible. Um, It's only within the past say, 40 years that this idea that business should be politicized has uh, gained any sort of uh, following, and within the past, say, 10 to 15 years, uh, that it's become a much, much more serious issue.
1: Yeah, and you know, when uh, we invest, I, it's just a given that you think that the corporation or the board of directors is wants to make sure that the bottom line is improved. In other words, whatever they can do to, you know, you they they have a fiduciary responsibility to their shareholders, but that's just gone out the window. Explain that, Stephen. How did that happen? Well, um, in
4: 1972, uh, Milton Friedman uh, wrote uh, a P, a, you know an op-ed for the New York Times that would eventually become uh, the foundation of what's called the Friedman Doctrine, which was this idea that if somebody entrusts you with their wealth, if they are willing to give you their resources, that it is your responsibility uh, to ensure that those resources are used well and effectively, Uh, that that is your primary function, to take care of what they have given you. Um, Unfortunately, over the past 50 years since that piece was written, um, there have been some modifications made to it uh, that were intended to improve. The way it worked, and then there have been uh, considerable uh, efforts to undermine what it was that Friedman actually said and what he meant. Uh, and, and the charge has become that Friedman was exclusively interested in profits, and that if you run a company that way, you're going to destroy the environment, you're going to destroy the nation, etc. And so there's been this manipulation of the idea that shareholders uh, should be important uh and it's it's become twisted and it's become uh a, a more uh a caricature uh of what Friedman intended. Uh and it's this caricature has become the foundation uh of a movement to push back against that that says, look, business can and should be used for other purposes rather than simply creating a profit, it should be used for much more socially uh responsible and much more socially acceptable purposes to uh, advance uh, different ends, particularly with respect to social justice and the environment.
1: Well, of course, in your book, The Dictatorship of Old Capital, you talk about something that I've discussed a lot, Stephen, and that is the, the long march to the institutions, which is what the Marxists have been trying to do for a couple of generations here, and that is take over, take control, take the harness of every professional organization, and they have just about succeeded. But you point out that big business or businesses in america have been kind of the last bastion of freedom. Can you just talk about that for a second?
4: Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, as you say, this was, this was the intention uh, of Marxists for uh, roughly a century, uh, to take over the cultural institutions. Uh, after World War I, uh, a group of German and Italian Marxists were so despondent uh, at the idea that the revolution didn't occur uh that uh German workers instead of uniting with Italian workers and Austrian workers and French workers uh actually fought for Germany. Uh and so they were they were just despondent that the revolution did occur. Uh and so what they decided was they had to figure out why. Uh and ultimately they came to the conclusion that the workers didn't revolt because they were subjected to a, a false consciousness that was imposed upon them. By these cultural institutions, so they said. You know, we have to change these cultural, cultural institutions if we're ever going to get our revolution. Uh, and so that's what they did. They went about taking over uh, education, uh, a lot of mainline religion, uh, media, entertainment, all the institutions of cultural transmission. They went about taking over, uh, and they effectively won uh, all of those battles. Probably by the late 1960s, um, the only institution of cultural transmission that remained immune uh, to this leftward movement, to this takeover, uh, for a long time was American business. Uh, But over the past probably quarter century, the last 25 years, we've seen uh, that even American business is starting to fall to this takeover.
1: I should use the language that really should be people, they should be familiar. You do use it in your title about woke capital. Now people pretty much kind of have an idea what it means to be woke. It's what we see in our streets. It's what we see in these corporations. It's this new embracing of leftist doctrine. And the ESG movement, which again, we have talked about, Stephen, but I think these are hard concepts. Uh, I wish they weren't household words, and they aren't so far, but I suppose they should be now. Explain the ESG movement, what that means, if you could, please.
4: I will. ESG stands for Environmental, Social, and Corporate Governance Investing. Uh, And and what this is is probably the hottest trend uh, in the investment business over the past five years. Uh, And it is an effort uh, on the part of activist investors to change the way uh, corporations do business. Uh, Traditionally, uh, socially responsible investing was a... A passive and very um, benign movement. If you believed that your values did would not align with those of a company, you simply didn't buy that company, or if you held stock in that company, you sold it and you moved on. And that way, you were able to align uh, your values uh, with your portfolio. ESG is different, however, and ESG uh, intends to force corporations to align themselves uh with certain political values. Uh rather than moving on from those companies and investing in companies that might better reflect your values, uh ESG um, uses corporate shareholder activism uh to try and force corporations, try and force boards of directors, to try and force managers uh to change the way they operate, to change their bylaws uh in order to embrace political values. Uh and so it's a much more intense, much more aggressive uh, version of socially responsible investing, a- and it's it's uh, swept uh, the investment world uh, pretty thoroughly over the past five years.
1: Justin Danhoff is a good friend, uh, Stephen, and he's been on. We've talked about this, about the corporate takeover, about proxy voting and um, how, you know, how to make a difference as a shareholder. But I have to say, I think it's very difficult for people to get their hands around what they can do because most investments are so other. You know, you, your investments are kind of impersonal. You have someone, you're investing or your retirement funds or whatever you have, and you're not personally deciding each thing that's going into what thing. And the other big problem is that, well, okay, let's say we're going um, to boycott uh, Coca-Cola because of this new push to embrace critical race theory and, you know, ask forgiveness for your whiteness. So I think I'll drink Pepsi, but Pepsi has its own boatload of politically correct problems. I think I won't watch those movies. I'll watch these movies. There are almost no alternatives. Hold the break, please, you guys. Hold the break, five minutes. Uh, So uh, you have no choices. So what is our alternative? What can people do to fight back?
4: Well, Justin is is, is a good friend Uh, of mine as well, and Justin was, in fact, uh, the person who made me most uh, acutely aware of how deeply embedded uh, in the financial services world this this issue is. So he's a very important uh, figure in this movement uh, pushing back. And I think that what he and I have discussed and others in the movement is that it's probably... Not our best bet to disengage from these corporations, uh, but to engage them, uh, to reverse engineer uh, what the woke activists have done, uh, and to push back by engaging the corporations. Um, It is very difficult, as you say, for the average investor to understand uh, what's going on and how their funds uh, are are being used to leverage political values. Uh, And that's sort of the point. Uh, These large asset management firms that run these large mutual funds, uh, or especially these large uh, exchange-traded funds, index funds, uh, are are taking your wealth uh, and, with that, taking your shareholder rights uh, and using that... Using your shareholder rights to leverage their political values uh and it, it becomes a very 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 uh convoluted mess for, for anybody who wants you know an individual who wants to understand uh what's going on and and how to stop it uh, The worst part of it being uh that these companies are using our money uh to do this to to affect political change that that we almost certainly would object to um, the The most effective way I think uh... to push back is to engage uh, and to take back what is ours understand what the problem is understand who's doing it why they're doing it uh, and then find out where your funds are if they're being used by a asset management firm uh... that is uh... leveraging them for political purposes then see what you can do about changing that if it's if it's a voluntary ira investment move it to another fund if it's a 401k Uh, that's invested through your employer, talk to your human resources department about finding alternatives, because you don't want to have your retirement funds risked uh, to advance political ends that uh, may, in fact, backfire on the business.
1: So um, I guess the companion question to this, Stephen, is are there any companies that are still holding out? I almost hesitate to have you mention them. Because you know, they will be targets of the left, but do you see some good holdouts? Uh,
4: Within the the publicly traded companies, I see very few. Um, Privately held companies, uh, Chick-fil-A, Goya, um, MyPillow, you know, these these are companies that can push back against uh, the political consensus because they're privately held, Um, and whether you agree with what they do or what they don't do, um in the fact that they are privately held is is clearly uh the advantage that they have over the publicly traded companies but publicly traded companies are are in a mess um there are very few that are able to resist this in large part uh because these uh, ETF firms these passive investment giants uh hold all of the companies are are unable by design to sell the companies and are thus uh actively um Seeking to change uh, the way any of these companies behave if they hold out against this woke consensus.
1: You know, I was just thinking, Stephen, probably one of the answers, I'll answer my own question in some ways, probably just awareness is the first start here, and I think that's begun. And I think your book is a great contribution to this. And Let, let me just say it's called The Dictatorship of Woke Capital, and I could see You know, regular folk listening to us, because I'm sure your book appeals to, you know, not just people in the financial industry, but regular people who need to understand we almost all have investments in these firms. We almost all do. Um, And so it's a good book for a reference for just normal people people who have investments, and then higher-end folk, too. But I'm wondering if there's not a special use for it among, like, uh, if people listening have people that are managing their money. Maybe this would be a good book to share with them. I mean, who did you have in mind when you wrote the book?
4: Well, I I actually had in mind uh, sort of a a, a broad audience, uh, as you mentioned. Uh, But I, I did think that it was necessary to raise awareness of the issue among investment professionals. When I started having conversations about this issue and about the pervasiveness uh, of this this woke uh, ideas these woke ideas uh, in business a couple of years ago with with Justin and and with others, um, I was actually shocked at how deeply uh, this uh, problem pervades our system. Uh, And when I told my clients.
7: Stephen, the, uh,
1: Steven, the mu- music is going to cut you off. Uh, so okay. you, said, you you had in mind investing. People that were making decisions on investing. And that's who it's good for, yeah. whether they're professionals or regular people. It's The Dictatorship of Woke Capital, How Political Correctness Captured Big Business by Stephen sokup And Sukup, and it's a, a great read, and I highly recommend it. Stephen, thanks for joining me this morning. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk.
6: Hi, this is Dan Celia from Financial Issues. We as God's people need to be good stewards of all that He has given us. That is so important, and that's what drives me each day as I break down the latest financial numbers and talk to listeners across the country about their use of the money that God has entrusted to them. Join me each morning from 8 to 10 Central and Saturday mornings at 10 o'clock Central Time for Financial Issues right here on American Family
8: Radio. Have you been looking for a way to serve others? Are you able to serve in a ministry without being paid? You and Friendships might be the perfect match. Friendships is currently taking applications for volunteers providing aid to disaster victims, refugees, and the impoverished, both here at home and around the world. Get more information at friendships.org or by calling 337-433-5022.
7: I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Marriage is the first institution God sanctioned for mankind. He has made his design for marriage, family, and life clear from the beginning. Due to a hardness of heart, man tries time and again to supplant God's ways. Now more than ever, it's imperative for the people of God to stand on his word concerning marriage, family, and life. That's why the American Family Association is hosting the 2021 Marriage, Family, and Life Conference, June 24th through the 26th at Hope Church in Tupelo, Mississippi. MFL 21 will equip believers to articulate and defend biblical truth to a hostile culture. Registration is open now at marriagefamilylife.net.
6: Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association.
0: Brian Fisher here with today's Life and Liberty Minute. Can the central government require people to receive an injection of a COVID vaccine? The short answer is absolutely not. When a vaccine is in the experimental stage and not yet fully licensed by the FDA, as all COVID vaccines are at this stage, federal law is explicit that since they are authorized only for emergency use, Americans must have the option to refuse them. They cannot be mandated. On top of that, the Fourth Amendment states clearly that one of the inalienable rights Americans have received from God is the right to, quote, be secure in their persons. Our bodily integrity cannot be violated without our consent. A vaccine injection is an invasive procedure and constitutionally can only be done with our permission. If you are not fine with a vaccine injection, nobody
8: can make you get one. Catch Brian Fisher on Focal Point, weekday afternoons at 105 Central on American Family Radio.
5: This is Frank Gaffney with the Secure Freedom Minute. Biden administration officials are holding important meetings this month that present much-needed opportunities to address the growing threat posed by the Chinese Communist Party. A lot is riding on these conversations. The readout from one the president held Friday with key allied leaders was not encouraging. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan signaled that it wasn't about their common adversary, the CCP. Instead, the discussion focused on managing the pandemic it unleashed on all of us, Burma and climate change. The Chinese communists are likely to perceive such consultations as confirmation that the Biden team will submit to China's ascendancy. Before they meet with Chinese counterparts this week in Alaska, American officials should review a powerful two-hour TV special about the CCP's war against us that Steve Bannon and I co-hosted on Saturday. I urge you to do the same at bannonswarroom.com. This is Frank Gaffney.
8: Andy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio.
0: Some of it's relatively uh, straightforward work, where we're making good progress designing body armor that fits women properly, tailoring combat uniforms for women, creating maternity flight suits, updating uh, updating requirements for their hairstyles.
1: Let's see your commander-in-chief, you know, uh, getting your military ready to go into battle. Uh, Getting ready, of course, to fight the Chinese communists who are building up and actually genetically altering their soldiers so that they can be stronger, better than their opposition, which is us. Meanwhile, we are fashioning, you know, special combat suits for women and uh, pregnancy gears for women. In fact, um, uh, Tucker Carlson weighed in on this, uh, much to, you know, I'm sure his chagrin now— Uh, He felt that maybe that was not the right way to go. And he said a few things about it. We'll just play just a few seconds here. Here's clip three.
8: So we've got new hairstyles and maternity flight suits. Pregnant women are going to fight our wars. It's a mockery of the U.S. military.
1: It is a mockery of the U.S. military, and it's very dangerous. And that's the point that Tucker makes. Look, we have talked about this for years. Could I say this again? Because you may have forgotten the truth. It's kind of hard when you're constantly propagandized to believe something that's completely removed from reality. Women should not be in combat. That's the reason women don't play NFL football. We have 30% less upper body strength. It is ridiculous. And certainly if we're pregnant, we can't go into combat. I mean, it's just it, this. I Can you believe we're even discussing these things? They're altering men's garments because now they're going to be you know, transgendered people in our military because—and uh, then they have to have special, you know, outfits while they're in their transition. I mean, it is, it is amazing, and Tucker makes the case, and he makes it powerfully, which I agree with, that the military is supposed to defend this country. We have a whole generation of people who've never fought in the military. They've never fought in a war. They have no comprehension. They're all about the military becoming this woke— Uh, another branch of our wokeness, where we have uh, women doing everything men do. Of course they can. Not, but we're told they can. We have the military spending all of this money changing these uniforms. We have our uh, Secretary of Defense weeding out people in the military who don't think like he does. Uh, So we have to check people on their thinking. Thinking is now a crime. Wrong thoughts. Disinformation. This is the stuff of Orwell. It's shocking. And meanwhile, as I said, the Chinese are gearing up for war against us. I guarantee you they are gearing up for war. And as a matter of fact, uh Frank Gavney just did a special with um on the on War Room on Saturday. Uh and he's they're talking about the Chinese Communist Party gearing up for war. And so we want to recommend that to you. <clears throat> that show. Actually, Adam, let's find the link to that and put it on our Facebook page. It's a uh, war room and it will be um uh, uh, Yeah, uh, Frank Gaffney, our own Frank Gaffney will be on that, and it's supposed to be excellent. I haven't seen it, but I'm sure that it is. If By the way, if you want to hear about what's going on in America's military and national security, uh, Frank Gaffney is just the, the gold standard, and he's on every night on uh, American Family Radio Monday through Friday, I think at 9 or 10 o'clock, uh, depending on your time zone, and so really— if those of you that are interested in more of what i touch on sometimes that's the that's the place to go all right so tucker took them on he's talking about um the political correctness it's really that's an innocuous word we're talking about putting our nation at great risk do you think for a minute that we could beat china right now does anybody seriously think that a military that's gearing itself up with uniforms for pregnant female warriors and transgender men is going to seriously be able to fight and win a war against China. Do you really think that? And it's not just uh, Joe Biden and his um, ridiculous, foolish, wicked implementation of these policies as he oversees them and brags about them. And Kamala Harris chuckling with her, you know, marijuana-induced laugh. I'm sorry. That's, uh, that's what I think because she loves marijuana. She's been very open about it. So I always think her chuckling, you know, is a kind of a result of that happy, the happiness that she um, expresses in her chuckling reminds me of a mar- marijuana-induced laugh. So uh, she's really concerned about this. And when she becomes president, which she will soon, I'm sure it's going to happen soon, as soon as Joe does all the bad things. Takes, you know what, up front, and then we won't be able to come after him because, after all, he has, uh, you know, fill in the blanks, dementia, dementia, his age, uh, you know, Joe, well, you know, he did all those things. So Joe can take the hit for it, and Kamala can waltz in and inherit this uh, communistic, leftist, mind-control universe that they are instating in rapid speed. All right, so Peter Schweitzer talks about another... Uh, area of this, and he talked about it eloquently with Maria Bartiroma yesterday morning. Peter Schweitzer is the one who wrote Clinton Cash. He really is an equal opportunity exposer of corruption. And last night, in a portion, or yesterday morning, in a portion of his interview with Maria Bartiroma on uh, Fox, um, he talked about the complicity and the involvement of America's politicians with China in this time of danger. Let's listen, clip one.
8: And the Swalwell case is so interesting because, you know, he uh, just refuses to publicly declare uh, exactly what the nature of the relationship was. And that's not just sort of engaging in tabloid journalism. It's very important because he could be compromised. And as a member of the Intelligence Committee, uh, you know, the intelligence world is very compartmentalized. People have certain areas they're responsible for. If you're on the House Intelligence Committee, you have access to all of it. Um, And here's the problem, Maria Uh, Eric Swalwell has his issues, but it's Nancy Pelosi that uh, reappointed him. To the House Intel Committee, look at Nancy Pelosi's history. Uh, Nancy Pelosi was was actually very anti-Beijing uh, for a long time, and then her husband, Paul Pelosi, started securing major deals in Beijing. She's become a lot softer since the late uh, 2000s, around 2008, a lot softer. Um, look at the experience we've had in the past. Dianne Feinstein, while a member of the Senate Intelligence Committee and as chairman of the U.S. Senate Intel. Intelligence committee. Her husband, Richard Blum, was in Beijing doing major deals with Chinese state-owned enterprises that have made that family very, very wealthy. So the notion that you can sit on the, these intelligence committees and we're not going to look at any sort of entangling relationships, you know, is, is patently ridiculous.
1: All right. So Peter, uh, he, no. So Nancy Pelosi and her husband have all these dealings in China. Then we have Eric Swalwell, who had a liaison with a Chinese spy a confirmed spy, and Nancy Pelosi has kept him on the Intelligence Committee. And then we have, well, let's listen. Peter goes on.
8: Um, and then looking across the aisle, uh, you have the, the situation with Mitch McConnell and Elaine Chao, uh, his wife. Uh, Elaine Chao uh, and uh, her family uh, have a company called the Foremost Shipping Group. Uh, they have deep long ties with the Chinese government. Um, The Chinese government builds their ships for them for the shipping company. They finance the construction of those ships. They provide the crews and they provide the contracts. And to show you how this goes down, in 2017, as Donald Trump was sort of cranking up some very serious hardline policies against China that I believe were necessary, what did Beijing do? They signed a series of deals with Elaine Chow's family in 2017 to build a total of 10 massive bulk cargo ships. We don't know the terms of the deal in terms of the full amount, but the ships that they were building for the Chow family are $47 million apiece. So you're talking about the family of the U.S. Senate leader and the then transportation secretary, their family getting a multi-hundred million dollar deal from Beijing just as things are coming to uh, to a head on Capitol Hill. That's extremely disturbing and you can't ignore it.
1: Yes. And Peter also uh, talked, uh, I heard him in another venue talking about the connection of the Biden family to China in a great deal more uh, detail about not just Joe Biden, but also, uh, you know, his brother, his son, his daughter, I believe his sister, uh, it's its uh, shocking, but it's happening. This is not a hint to this, is a tsunami of betrayal. And um, uh, George Rasley has written a great article about this, The Com- Coming War with Red China. It's published by Conservative uh, HQ. We'll put that on our Facebook page as well for you to read. Uh, And um, so, meanwhile, I have to just say to you, so much of this, in some form or fashion, was prophesied in God's Word a very long time ago. And so, uh, the the good news is that our God is real. Uh, The good news is that His plans have been formed from time beginning, and this is unfolding, and we are in His hands. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk.
6: The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast